Revelation chapter number 4. Now, some of you might be expecting a deep, exhaustive view of Revelation tonight. And if you're expecting that, you're not going to get that tonight. You cannot do that in 35 minutes. I've done, if you could go back on, our, on SoundCloud or our podcast, and I did a whole series on biblical prophecy and understanding it. I did not go in depth through the entire book of Revelation. I could. In all honesty, I have most of my notes set for the entire book of Revelation. I, um, I taught a Bible college class on this topic and so I spent a ton of time, I have all the notes, I could give you 52 to 60 weeks worth of notes over the next year, and you could go through the entire book of Revelation. We're not doing that tonight. The book of Revelation, it's interesting, you don't want to get your timeline for biblical prophecy based on the book of Revelation, because the book of Revelation jumps around, it does not do everything in direct order. In fact, you'll find out if you got your Bibles there in Revelation chapter, go with me to chapter number 12 for a minute. Go to Revelation chapter number 12. Kind of in the middle of everything in chapter number 12, it says, and there, does anyone need any more notes? Does anybody need a copy of the notes tonight? Everyone good? I think everybody's good. All right, I think we're good to go. So chapter 12, verse number 1, it says, there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a, red, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and it cast them to the earth. So... I could go through and explain the tale. I could explain a lot of these things to you. But that dragon is talking about Satan himself. And the fact, verse number four says, And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven, so a third of the angels fell with him out of heaven. That's what it's referring to right there. And then it talks about how the dragon stood before the woman, which was about ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule the nations with the rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And you just read through those verses right there, and in all reality, that's going back to when Jesus was born. That's that what it's talking about. Satan did his best to destroy Christ. Remember he used Herod trying to kill all the babies? And he had to move back. So that's, that's going back to then. So there is, so Revelation, you cannot go from the book of Revelation and go chapter by chapter and say, this is how everything goes. Things scatter throughout. In fact, chapter 16 gives you a glimpse of the battle of Armageddon. But before it really tells you all the details of Armageddon, which happens in chapter number 19, Babylon has to fall in chapter 17 and 18. And there are people out there who say, well, Babylon is a city. I, don't be I believe Babylon is the idea. It goes back to the Tower of Babel. The world said... We let us, we're going to build ourselves this thing, and we're going to be great like God. We see a one world government, one world things that will come into play. All of that has to do with Babylon, and that's what's going to be destroyed. And, we'll talk, and we could some other time go into all of that. 
And so for tonight, I'm not going to go super deep into all of this. I'm going to give you the nuts and bolts, tie some things together, give you a brief outline, and then overview everything, and we'll be on our way. So if you're there, I gave you before, if you skip down in your notes, to the outline for the book of Revelation. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter number 1, it was Jesus speaking there to John. Revelation 1, verse number 19, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The outline of the book, we talked about this before, number one is the things which thou hast seen. That's chapter one. John's on the island of Patmos, and he sees Jesus Christ there on the island of Patmos. And he describes what he sees. So the first part of the book, chapter one, is about what John is literally seeing in that moment. Number two, the things which, which are. So in chapter 2 and chapter number 3, he writes the letters to the churches. Last Wednesday night we went through the churches, the seven churches, and we went through those letters that were written, and that's chapter 2 and 3. And then the last part of the outline, the outline's only three parts to it, the last part, oh, and kids, tonight I have a new treat for you tonight. And so if you're good, you'll get a treat at the end tonight. And so it's not candy, it's more like a cookie tonight. So it's more of a snack instead of candy. Is it much more healthy for you? No. But, but it's variety. It's all about variety. That's what it's about. So um, we see number three, and this is where we are tonight, the things which shall be hereafter. What's going to take place in the end? Now that you have that down in your notes, I want you to listen up for a few minutes. We're going to look at a few verses here. And then we will go through that outline. Don't worry about your outline yet till I get through some things. Joe, on the screen for me, if you would put, there's a picture there of kind of the end, how it's all going to lay out. Okay. So, if you look at the screen tonight, I'm going to help you out and get the gist of all of these things. So, if you look at the beginning of this here, and I'm going to help myself out. Just hold on a second. I was given a walking stick. I think my walking stick is perfect to help point things out on the screen. And so, thank you, Louie. It works out good for that. Louie is nice. Got me a walking stick and even had my live verse put on the side of it. I think that's cool. So, anyway, so it's a walking stick and a preaching stick. Instead of a laser pointer, I don't want to put anybody's eye out, so I'll use this. I just won't take the end off. I won't do that. So, this is where we're at today. We're in the present church age. That's where we live today. At some point, the trump of God's going to sound, the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we which are alive and remain are going to be caught together to be with the Lord. That is the rapture of the church. That's the next event to take place. Now, before I explain deeper to you, I'm going to show you in the book of Revelation what goes on when the rapture takes place. So the rapture takes place you're in Revelation chapter number 4. We're not writing any notes yet. We'll get there. If you want to write notes about what I'm saying to help you figure this out, that's fine. But I want to go a little deeper before I go there. Revelation 4, verse number 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, 
and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. What is the third part of the outline for the book of Revelation? The things that are hereafter. And the angel tells John, these are the things that are hereafter. Verse number two says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. We know according to the scripture that the judge of all, the one who sits on that throne, is Jesus Christ. The Father's given all judgment to Jesus. Jesus is the one on the throne. Verse number 3, And he that sat was to look upon a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. When you think of an emerald, what color is an emerald? Green. So this is a greenish rainbow. Picture that in your mind. And even the best pictures you can come up with can't even begin to describe what this actually looks like. And so the Bible says, And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, before we go any deeper, those twenty-four elders mentioned there represent us. As Christians in white apparel with crowns on our heads this pictures all save people now when we look here we keep on reading the Bible says now the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God and before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Talks about those four beasts like a lion, seconds like a calf. The third beast had the face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Let me just give you a comparison here. The four Gospels, the book of Matthew, is Jesus as king. You see a lion is the first one here. The second beast is as a calf. A calf, an ox, represents service. And a servant, the book of Mark. The book of Luke, Luke represents Jesus as the Son of Man. The third had the face of a man. And the fourth, what does it say? is a flying eagle. And so the Son of God. So basically what those four beasts represent, they represent the Gospels of Jesus Christ, what they represent. They're around the throne. We've read about them before in the book of Isaiah. Remember when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah 6? He saw them there. And so these beasts, look at what they're doing. It says, they rest not day and night, and they say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give honor and glory to thank, and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lived forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. The four and twenty elders represent us. The Bible talks about there are crowns that we can get here on earth by the things that we do for the Lord in service, and we're going to take those crowns and as those beasts are praising him and worshiping him, we will join in in the worshiping of God and bow before him and cast our crowns at his feet. That's what's going on. This is, so the rapture of the church has taken place. This is what we are doing in heaven. 
the judgment seat of Christ takes place first. That's where we're given our rewards. Then we look at chapter number 5. And just stick with me here. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the back side sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And this is what John says, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereupon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. Some are saying, what book is this? This book is the deed to the earth. When this book gets open, the seals are released and judgment is released on earth. The only one who is worthy enough to open the book of earth and open those seals is the one who created it all because it's his. Right now, if we're being honest, Satan runs the world. He does. He's the God of this world. He thinks he's running everything. At the end of the day, God's behind the scenes on all of it. God owns the deed to this world. He created it. He spoke it into existence. And at this time in the book of Revelation, the deed to earth needs to be open. No man, no one in heaven was worthy except for Jesus to be able to do this. We keep on reading. And it says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Ever wonder what the seven spirits are there? I preached on it one time, but no, you probably don't remember that, but I could give you details on that. That would be a good summer sermon right there. Or the seven spirits of God that are mentioned right there. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I heard, and I beheld, now look right here, verse 11, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them, look at this, was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Every saved believer, every angelic being will all be there before God as Christ gets ready to open this book. And verse number 12 says, we'll be saying with a loud voice, this is what we'll be doing. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the, sea, under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them. Heard I say blessing 
and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. So, we just mentioned, we're not getting to the outline yet, just hold on, we'll get there. The rapture of the church takes place. We meet the Lord in the air, we go to heaven to be with him. When we're in heaven with him, the judgment seat of Christ takes place. After the judgment seat of Christ takes place, at some point we're casting our crowns before the Lord. Then at some point he's going to open up that book. When the book gets open, that's when the seals get loose and the judgments start here on earth. And then the rest of the time, the rest of the time we're in heaven till we come back during the tribulation time, the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place, and then we return with him. That's what's going to take place in heaven. Now, let's make sure we understand. We talk about the judgment seat of Christ, and we say there's no condemnation to them. There's, we are not going to be judged for our sins at the judgment seat of Christ. But he is going to look at us and say, what have you done with what I've given you? And our works will be tried by fire. And some people will not be very happy with the results of that day. You don't lose heaven. But all your rewards or your crowns to cast of the Lord could be wiped away based on why you do what you do while you're here on earth. So that's what takes place in heaven. So Revelation 4, 5, and 19 talk about heaven. So from Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 18 talks about the seven years of tribulation here on earth. So I've, and if you haven't, I've talked about it before, and, and when we went through the book of Daniel earlier, the 70 weeks of years, there's one seven-year period left of time that God has to, that works with the Jews, and judge, everything has to be complete for everything to end. So while we're in heaven, those things are happening. Look at chapter 6, verse number 1, and I'm already running out of time, but it's okay. Chapter 6, verse number 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So you think to yourself, oh, there's someone coming on a white horse. This is right when the tribulation kicks off. If you'll notice... This is not Jesus. Jesus doesn't come till the end of the tribulation on his white horse. So who's coming on a white horse in peace, but he's coming to conquer? The Antichrist. Right away, as the rapture of the church takes place, the seven years of tribulation take place here on earth. So there's the seven years that are going to take place. In that time, one of the first things that's going to happen is, the Antichrist will be revealed. Say, why won't he be revealed before then? Because those that know Jesus Christ would know who he is. Because we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. The Bible talks about that the Spirit's got to be moved out of the way for this to happen. In all honesty, the church needs to be gone for the Antichrist to reveal himself. He's going to deceive a lot of people. So if you're one of those that believes in mid-trib or, or uh, post-trib, you got to understand, if you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you're not going to be deceived either. So if you're one of those, that's fine. But the Bible kind of makes it pretty clear why we stand where we do. And if you don't know what mid-trip, post-trip, all that stuff is, 
That's another great Wednesday night lesson for us all. So what happens is, and I'm trying to give you a condensed version and not go too far over your heads with all of it, and, uh, but it, it's a good thing. If, if you look at sometimes and you're like, man, pastor, you know some about, if your pastor doesn't know about the Word of God, the book that I'm supposed to study and know, if your pastor doesn't know the Word of God, there's a problem. So your pastor should know the Word of God. He should study it. He should know it well. All Christians should, but we won't get into all that tonight. Seven years of tribulation take place. In that time, we see, according to the book of Matthew, according to the book of Daniel and things, there's the beginning of sorrows. The first three and a half years are bad, but they're not super bad. In those first three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to make a treaty with Israel and that they're going to have peace. And in the midst of the tribulation, right in the middle, he's going to call that off, and he's going to be in the temple, and he's going to declare himself to be God. God's going to unleash his wrath on earth during those last three and a half years. And literally, the tribulation is going to be hell on earth. That's what it's going to be. Because of what this world has done and because of what's taken place, these things must take place. Now, when this happens, and as you go through all these things, you'll notice, and you'll notice in your notes, that there's going to be different things. There's judgment comes in phases. So, let's go ahead and we'll start running through a few of these notes, and then I will finish up with us as we go through. So, as we talk about what is coming up, we see, if you're going to follow along in your notes, the first thing is there's adoration, and we see that Jesus is glorified in heaven. So we just talked about in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And chapter 19 talks more about that as well. And then we see number 2, we see the tribulation, which is judgment on earth. That takes place from Revelation chapter 6 through chapter number 18. Now what happens is this comes in phases and stages. And I could go through, if you notice... There are several different colored horses. There's things that happen. People die. Water gets destroyed. All The earth is getting judged. I'm not going to go into all of that stuff tonight. But what you see under judgment, you see the first thing, letter A, you see the phase one. There are seven seals that are open. You see those seven seals mentioned in chapter number six. In all reality, those seven seals are really during the first half of the tribulation, the first three and a half years. Now, whenever the, book, the way the book of Revelation sets it up, you'll have judgment, then you'll have a little break, and then more judgment. So what's going to happen is at this time, you see letter B, that there's going to be a hundred, and there's, where's B at? There's no B in the notes? Okay, we're going to go just straight from what we got here. I don't know why B's not there. It's supposed to be there. B, there's 144,000 Jews that get saved, and then many Gentiles get saved and follow after that. So remember how I said that God's not done with the Jews? He's not done with them. During the tribulation, there will be 144,000 Jews that get saved, and they're going to bring the gospel to the world again. So those that are here during the... You say, well, who will get saved? 
those who had an opportunity to receive Christ and denied that opportunity will not have another opportunity. The Bible says they'll be given over to strong delusion. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. You can read that later on. But they're going to go and many are going to get saved. Most of those who get saved, these Jews that get saved, this 144,000, those that get saved during the tribulation time will suffer and be persecuted for their faith. And almost all of them are going to die for their faith. They will be beheaded is one of the main ways it's done, the scripture tells us. That's how they're going to be taken out. And so you have from judgment, the seven seals, you have all these Jews that get saved, the gospel goes around the world, and then you see letter C, you see judgment phase number two. And these are the seven trumpets. The seven trumpets are mentioned in Revelation chapter 8 and Revelation chapter number 9. And these trumpets, when they are sounded, what you'll see happen is that um, more judgments released on the earth is what happens. Then what you'll see from there is letter D, you'll see that there's kind of a little break in that for a minute. And there's going to be the two witnesses that are mentioned. The two witnesses, there are many people who have many arguments about who the two witnesses are. And let me just help you with something in the Bible tonight and try to be a help to you. You've got to understand something about the Word of God. Where the Word of God is silent, don't try to make a doctrine or be adamant that you know something. Because, okay, we could look at this in several different ways. The first thing that we could say is Enoch and Elijah never died. They were taken to heaven. And if men are supposed to die once, then probably the two prophets will be Enoch and Elijah. And then they die, and then everyone has died that's ever lived, besides Jesus, because he rose again. Then there are those who say, well, on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was Elijah and Moses. And those are going to be the two prophets. I, the Bible does not tell you who the two prophets are. So don't even guess. Don't worry about it, okay? During this time, the two witnesses, they will be, the, and the Bible tells us there that everyone around the world will see these people preaching the gospel. And really, it's the Bible saying that television is going to be around. Because back in those days, they didn't, how was everyone in the world going to see something at one time? It's referring to the fact that television would be around. And so, and you got to remember, John seeing things and putting it into his perspective from 2,000 years ago. Look at how advanced we are today from then. During that time, there will also be war going on here on earth, a lot of war. And you also have the trinity, Satan's trinity. So in God's trinity, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the devil's trinity, you have the devil, you have that antichrist, and you have the false prophet. So what's going to take place is the antichrist will rise up, and the false prophet will be proclaiming that he must be Christ because he fits all the biblical descriptions. In fact, the Bible even tells us in the book of Revelation that the Antichrist is going to take a blow to the head. He's going to die. And he's going to magically rise up again. Everything Satan does is a counterfeit to what Jesus and what God does. So God has his trinity Satan has his. Satan's Antichrist is going to try to be like Christ. The false prophet is going to be proclaiming these things. 
You know, people ask often, who's the false prophet? And people have lots of different opinions about all that. And I'm not going to go into all my opinions tonight. I would say that the Bible does make it pretty clear that the, the harlot that's mentioned is the Catholic Church in Rome. It's mentioned there in the book of Revelation. I can give you the exact verses, you know, and very easily, and if I offend anybody by saying this, you can figure that out yourself, very easily the Pope could be the false prophet. I'm not saying for sure he will be, but he very easily could be. And so we'll just leave it there. When you rise up and call yourself, when you put yourself, when you are the substitute for Christ, that's what the vicar of Christ, that's the Pope. He's literally called the substitute for Christ. That's his name. There's nothing about Christ that he is. He's an antichrist on his own. And so I'm not going to go any further with that. And so you can figure we could go deeper if you want to some other time. If you want to know more about the antichrist and the false prophet, I give you a whole message on that. But all those things take place, and then we see we go back to judgment one more time. And judgment, the final stage of judgment, are the seven bowls of judgment, or the vials that are released. And from that, you have, it goes back and it talks about Babylon being destroyed. The one world government will be destroyed. You know, we look around us. Everything around us is just telling us that we're getting closer and closer to this happening. If we can get, if they can get us into a one world government, you have the United Nations already, you don't need much more down that road, it very easily can go down that road. You get rid of currency, you have a one world way of money, you have a one world way of doing all these things, a one world government, there will be a one world religion, and so there's a lot there. And then which leads us to letter F was we see the fall of Babylon. The fall of humanism is what it comes down to. Going all the way back to the Tower of Babel, I do not believe that the fall of Babylon is a specific city. It's the idea of Babel. Man was going to be like God. And man can never be like God. And because man tried to be like God, God destroys it. Which leads to letter G, or sorry, not letter G, it leads to number three. We see the second coming of Christ. This is what it's all been coming, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord has to do with the rapture, but the day of the Lord is concluded when Jesus comes to earth the second time. And when he comes, he's not coming as a lamb to be slaughtered. He's coming as a lion out of the tribe of Judah, coming to rule, to conquer, and to reign. That's why he's coming. That's the second coming, which leads to number four, the millennium. The millennial reign of Christ. We as believers, we as a church, believe in a literal millennial reign of Christ. There are those who say it's figurative, say that it's imaginary. We believe in a literal millennial reign of Christ. Because if God's promises to the children of Israel are going to come true, the millennium has to happen for all of those things to be finished up to come true and for Israel to get all the land that they're supposed to have, if we're being honest about all that. Heaven on earth. Earth will return to the perfect place that it was with the perfect leader. But something that's very interesting Satan is bound for a thousand years during this time. 
Satan gets loose one last time. So during that thousand-year reign of Christ, there will be, and this is going to go above some heads tonight, but that's okay. It sounds like a sci-fi movie a little bit. There will be immortals, those who've been with the Lord, and mortals here on earth. And there are going to be some that don't, aren't saved, and Satan's going to be able to deceive them, and they're going to go with him for one final battle. They're going to have the perfect leader, and they still won't worship him. Then everything gets judged for a final time. When the judgment happens, we see the eternal state, and then there's a new heaven and a new earth. Now, if you go back with me, Joe, to that um, slide earlier, the one that had the picture there. So let me give you, we're going to close out here in just a minute tonight. So, the rapture takes place, we're with the Lord, for seven years of tribulation, midst of tribulation, the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist claims to be God in the temple. And another thing, as we get closer to the time of the Lord returning, there's going to be a third temple, the temple has to be there, the temple is very important to all of this, and that plays an important role in everything. So the tribulation, will the wrath of God is released on earth. The tribulation ends with Christ coming back, his return. He steps foot on the Mount of Olives. Where he left, he comes back. This same Jesus will return in like manner also. He's coming back to that spot. And what a day that's going to be. And we're going to ride with him. And he's going to conquer. He's going to send Satan to the bottomless pit for a thousand years. The millennial reign of Christ will take place. And he will rule on the throne of David here on earth. And we'll be with him here. Then we'll see one final battle. The sup- there's two suppers. The supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb, that's the one we want to be a part of. And then there's the, the supper of the great God, where all the fowls of the air come and clean up all the blood and the guts from everyone who dies because they go against God. And so at that time, the tribulation is done. Judgment comes. Death and hell are cast to the white throne judgment. The eternal lake of fire is where it ends up. And then everything is made new. A new heaven and a new earth. Let's tie it all together. I know it's 730, but you guys are all on the edge of your seats anyway. This is good stuff, right? So let's give me a couple more minutes here. So what we need to figure this out and final thoughts here tonight is one of the first messages of the Bible that we see from the very beginning is the fact that mankind is in need of redemption. We see that from Genesis chapter number 3. Man messed up in the garden. And what we see throughout the Old Testament, we see over and over again, and those of you doing that Bible reading schedule with me, one of the things that you'll see is God keeps giving man chance after chance. And we're in the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah, He's ready to give up on them by the end of the book of Nehemiah because they get chance after chance. They go into punishment. They come back and they still don't get it. The only hope that they have is a new heart that can come from Jesus Christ. But God lets them learn that on their own. So one of the first messages in the Bible is that mankind need a redemption. But then what we see is in Revelation chapter number 22. Got your Bible there. Revelation 22, the last chapter of the book. Revelation 22, verse number 17. 
and the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You have mankind needs redemption, and then you see at the end of the book, redemption is paid for, and it's available for all of mankind. What a book. You go from the beginning, mankind needs, needs redemption, to by the end, redemption's coming, and it's available for anyone who wants it. Every part of the Bible, in the, and in the middle of it, is telling and unfolding, telling us a beautiful story of how redemption is working. That's, what it, that's the complete picture that we see. And it starts, you think about this, it starts with the perfect creation, with God and man dwelling in perfect unity. It ends with perfect creation with God and man dwelling in perfect unity. It tells us how man messed everything up and how man tried to keep everything messed up and how God, in spite of man, in spite of Satan, in spite of everything else, had a plan and his plan worked out and he restored mankind to what he wanted mankind to be. That's what the Bible's all about. We see the Bible starts out and man got lost pretty quick. It ends with man being found. It starts with man messing up. It ends with God fixing everything. As we look at all of this and we tie it all together and round it out tonight as we've journeyed through the entire Word of God, a couple things I want you to remember tonight. There are 66 books, 66 individual books that make up one book. 66 books about 40 different authors. Throughout the Bible, 40 different people pin these words. Moses was the first person to pin words from God, the book of Genesis through the book of um, Deuteronomy. The last person to pin any scripture was John the Apostle here in the book of Revelation. There were doctors that pinned words, fishermen that pinned words, scholars, military leaders, preachers, Jesus' own brothers, there were kings, there were priests, there were shepherds, government officials, uneducated common men, and many other authors we don't even know much about. 66 books, 40 different authors, written on three different continents. Written in three, written in, um, written on three different continents, in three different languages. Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. It wasn't English. English wasn't around back then. In a variety of writing styles. Paul's were letters. Some books were history books. Some books are prophecy books. Some books are poetry books. Some are more biography books. But all of this happened. Forty different authors, three different languages, three different continents, variety of writing styles. In about 1,500 years, this took place. 1,500 years. Think about that. Go back 1,500 years from now. 
That would have been the year 500, right? 500, 521 A.D. Till now. That's a long time. Or go 1,500 years from now. None of us will be here. Who knows if the earth will even be here then. 1,500 years. And yet, all 66 books of the Bible agree and under divine inspiration, they weave together to tell us a story. It's one story. God's perfect redemption plan fulfilled. That's the Bible. And just so you know, it's there with zero contradictions. Any contradictions are because we just don't know enough. It's not a problem with the book. It's a problem with us. The Bible is an amazing book. It's the book that we should study. It's the book we should read. It's the book we should live by. And it's the book that we should put our faith and trust in for all matters of faith and practice. Father.